Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. Good morning. This reading is from Hosea 11, verses 1 to 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and offering incense incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. They shall return to the land of Egypt, and Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword rages in their cities, it consumes their oracle priests, and devours because of their schemes. My people are bent on turning away from me, To the Most High they call, but he does not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zebeon? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and no mortal, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord who roars like a lion, and when he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, says the Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Chapter 12, verse 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Lord, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will put down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have an ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But the Lord said to him, You fool! This very night your life is being demanded of you, 
and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who stir up treasure for themselves, but are not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Swedenborg reading is from Divine Providence, number 11. Useful things include not only the necessities of life, food, clothing, and shelter for oneself and one's own, but also the good of the country, community, and fellow citizen. Business is useful when it is the real love, and money is a subservient supporting love, provided the merchant avoids and recoils from fraud and deceptive practices as sins. It is different when money is the real love and business is a subservient supporting love. This is greed, the root of evils. That song is oftentimes understood to be kind of the song of the prophet, the song of the person who is hearing God's voice and and then being sent to tell a bunch of people who don't want to hear what they have to say something that they'd rather not have to say to them. Our Old Testament reading today is from the prophets, and most of the prophets follow this pattern of hey, if you've got nothing else to do, why don't you go to those people who are leading that country over there and tell them that everything they're doing is wrong? It's not something you like to do, generally. This particular prophet was sent to the northern kingdom, the kingdom which is sometimes called Israel, but their capital was in a a certain township called Ephraim, so sometimes it is called Israel or it's called Ephraim. And I love Bible passages that have the name Ephraim in it. (laughs) For those who don't know, that's my son's name. Now there's a southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. This particular passage is not actually about Judah. Judah is still alive at this point. This is just about the northern kingdom. And this message is coming, and this this is not addressed in many ways, to the political leaders of the day. This passage of you all are sacrificing to the wrong gods is not being sent to Jerusalem where the temple is. It's being sent to the people who were not near the temple, who were sacrificing on top of the mountains, doing the primal historic religion of their peoples. They were people whose hearts We're shifting away from God. Now this paired with the reading from Luke, this is one of my, I have a lot of favorite Jesus passages, but this one is is definitely among like the, the top, like tied for first place with about 100 others. But one of the reasons why I like it is who's he talking to and he responds and says, hey, don't be greedy. He's talking to both the person who wants the money and the person who has the money, right? The the brothers came and he said, tell my brother to give me my share of the money. And Jesus' response was, why am I judge over you? Don't be so greedy, folks, right? 
He was telling maybe the wealthy person, don't be so greedy, and telling the person who wanted the money, hey, don't be so greedy. It's a time when he's given one answer to two people, even though they have different points of view. And all I can say is, wow, that's incredible to have that kind of thing of, of getting past the surface issues. Like a good diagnostician, right? He's, Jesus is getting past the symptoms and trying to find the root cause. It is easy for us to get distracted by the symptoms. It is easy for us to, as we deal with symptoms, create a bigger and bigger problem. Now, we're urban folk here. We don't have many barns, right? How many of us have, have used a barn in the past six weeks? Anybody here do any online ordering at all? Anything from Amazon? There are some of you who might. Have you ever looked at the Amazon returns facilities? Huge warehouses of pallets with boxes that are never opened. And they shrink wrap them and then they sell these boxes off for what they understand their price to be at a fraction of the cost. And they go to these outlet centers. These are big barns of things that people didn't want, cast aside, and it is easier for Amazon to discard them versus putting them back on the rack. Believe it or not, more of our life is like this than we want to think. It is easier for us to discard our problems than to deal with them. We have barns that are emotional barns. It is easier for us sometimes to move past issues rather than deal with them. It is easy for us to have feelings of superiority, power, and control. Now, probably most of us here are saying to ourselves, well, gosh, I'm pretty low on the totem pole. I don't have issues of superiority. I don't have issues of power. I don't have issues of control. My problem is all the people who are controlling me. And I would say most likely that's not true. I'm guessing that all of us have issues of superiority and power. I, I've walked by people who say things like, I'm not going to stand in line because my time is worth too valuable. Or I'm not going to be like one of these stupid people and stand in line. I'm just going to walk up to the front. Those people who drive, you always see the person who's trying to skirt down the lane to get in the front, not wait their turn. I've heard people go up to tables where free items are being distributed and say, well, gosh, I had to wait in line for this free item, so I'm going to take as many as I can stick in my bag. Like somehow, because they had to wait with everybody else who have to wait, they can remove the privilege of someone else getting something behind them. Have you ever seen that type of thing happen? I'm guessing most of us have. I'm guessing most of us have seen times where people have a feeling that they are more entitled to what is in front of them than the person behind them. We don't say, I'm being superior. 
That's the subtle way that these questions of superiority rear their ugly head. In our reading from Swedenborg today, we hear that greed is the root of evil. This is not groundbreaking stuff. But one of the things that's important is Swedenborg said, look, it's not inherently about the money. It's not about the things that we are identifying as the problem. It's not about the symptom. It's about the root core, the root cause. All the time, we look around the world and see certain elements of injustice. But we rarely ever ask ourselves, how do we participate? How do we act unjustly toward the person sitting next to us? We have a tendency of people to, in our desire to control our world around us, to use truth to hurt other people. Swedenborg actually says that swords in the Bible represent truth, and they're double-edged. So you can, use you can use a sword to cut falsity, but you can also turn the sword over and use the other edge and use truth to cut love. Facts. We have all sorts of facts. I heard news stories of a study done showing that police officers, regardless of race, were as likely to be violent toward African-American males. Instantly, that report, once it was released, was used by people to say, look at the problem we have with racism in our culture, that race, racism transcends the race of the perpetrator of the racism. And on the other side, instantly another group said, well, that's a reason why police shouldn't have quota systems. That's a reason why we shouldn't seek diversity is because diversity doesn't actually change the outcome. Instantly, a fact, this study was done and both sides could wield it however they wanted it. Not many people paid attention to the actual condition. They just looked at the symptoms. They want to make things better for their representative. They are paid by the corporate lobbyists to defend corporate rights. They defend the corporate rights. If they are paid by groups trying to attack the corporate interests, then they use the truths to attack corporate interests. And you have this lack of people who want to sit down and say, how do we love more? We build bigger and bigger barns all the time. We decide that we are a Democrat or that we are a Republican and we, we defend our identity regardless of whether or not it's true. We build bigger and bigger barns all the time. We categorize ourselves with a certain opinion or a certain understanding. We brand ourselves even though we don't want to say that we're branded. We build a bigger barn. What are we saving these truths, these values, these ideas, when we claim that we are inherently right over other people, 
That's a feeling of superiority. When we don't let another person talk because we want to convince them so much of our point of view, when we get angry because somebody disagrees with us, these are bigger and bigger barns that we are building. These are things, these are times where, believe it or not, we are placing ourselves in front of God and in front of our neighbors. These are times when we are not asking the bigger questions of what does it mean to love because our identity is so caught up in the symptoms. The Lord promises us through the prophet that in these times when we build up selfishness, we will return. But we always want the return to be a righteous, a righteous return, right? We want, we want like a band playing behind us and a bunch of people clapping saying, yes, you're right, you're right, yeah, you go. Right, we want, well, we want what the people of Israel wanted, right? We want a military takeover of the government that will bring about the world that gives me everything that I want now. But the prophet says that his children shall come trembling from the west. Trembling like birds from Egypt. Trembling like doves from Assyria. It's not a show of might. It's a show of of mercy and struggle from a distant land. The abundance of possessions, it's really easy for us. I, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of the simplicity movement. The simplicity movement was really big about 10 years ago, and it still exists. The simplicity movement is a movement where people decide they're going to declutter their lives by giving away the stuff that they have, which I think is a wonderful thing. I don't have any issue with that, but it's being preached at points, and very few people respond by saying, well, you have to have something to give up before you can give it up. But again, the issue there isn't, the question with simplicity isn't, I have too much stuff. The issue is, how much of my life is distracted by the symptoms of living versus the actual crisis? The person who gives up their stuff is giving up their stuff because all of a sudden they start to realize the acquisition of material wealth isn't helping them. They're looking for something deeper. Well, I would argue if a person who is countering this, this, remember that thing, this truth is a sword that cuts both ways? This is where I'm going to use, maybe the term fact is a better word. The simplicity movement as a fact can be used two ways. Because at one side, it can cut through you saying, you should give up what you have. And the other direction is, I don't have enough. Both of those things are the same condition but different symptoms. If we define ourselves by the things that we have, the desire to get rid of or the desire to possess is the same problem. You're fighting over possessions. You're either lusting after something or you're overly inundated with something. But the core aspect of what you're supposed to be is cluttered. 
The reality is whether or not you have a lot of stuff, whether or not you have a little of stuff, the question is what are you doing to engage your life? What are you doing to not store your life in your spiritual barn? How are you actually making the decision to live a meaningful way today? It's very Buddhist, the idea of saying you must live in the moment. We can use news and politics to distract us from living. That sounds weird. A lot of people, but I want to be informed. I hear a lot of people talking about things that they cannot control, they cannot understand, and they're sitting there doing that while people around them are hurting. Have you ever seen that happen? We can distract ourselves with news because talking about political issues is far better than having to actually figure out what I'm going to do today to make the world a better place. Many people, I've said this over and over again, many people can name who their representative is in Washington. Very few know who it is in the State House. And I'm guilty of that. I'll, I'll be clear. I, I was amazed when I went to lobby and found out that my state senator was actually the president of the Senate. I was like, huh, look at that. The person who's the most powerful person in the state senator is my representative, and I've never thought twice about bringing my problems of my neighborhood and my community to that person. I would much rather watch CNN and blame Washington, D.C. for the fact that there's difficulty in my town. We're cutting ourselves off from living sometimes. These barns are places where we store the potential energy of our lives. They are places where we store our ability to make a difference. When we store up so we can sit down passively and not interact with the ground, with our community, with our neighbor, We aren't really living. Which is why in the story the person dies when they serve, when they preserve their assets. They're considered dead because they are not living. What are your barns? We all have them. We all have the things that we do to distract ourselves from doing the things that can help us really engage our lives and our world. What are your barns? And what will you do to open the barn doors and let the goods out of the, arn, out of the barn so that you can live a life where every day you feel like you've shown love, compassion, and care to your neighbor and you've made a difference? What would it mean for us to give out our grain versus store it? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.